Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give you or give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be, a, be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of the peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to him, said, and, or laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to meet you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household were bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13 
Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray together. Father, this is your word, your holy, infallible word that we can trust. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us from it. We ask indeed, Father, that the words of Christ would dwell in us richly and that you would cause your word to go forth accompanied by your spirit to accomplish all that you have set out for it to do, that it would not return empty and void. We pray that you would give the speaker boldness and confidence to proclaim it to your people. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an image that appears around New Year's each year that in some way uh, pictures what we see going on in our text today. As one year ends and another one begins, we often see this picture of an old man who's bent over. He has a long flowing beard that nearly touches the ground with a banner that is across his chest that has the year that is ending upon it. And next to him is usually a young child, often a baby in its infancy, maybe not even yet standing there beside him, with a banner across his chest that has the year that is soon coming. And here these two stand side by side together in one picture. And the image of these two, that they represent, what you are seeing is a representation essentially of the night of New Year's Eve. That you have something new being created, a new day is coming, it is dawning, even a new creation or future is before you. And at the same time, you see a dying or an ending of the old, a cutting off of things gone by where they will remain dead and buried in the past behind them. This morning, beloved, we have something like this before us. in In the sign and seal of circumcision, some of you may be thinking, You know, as we re-go through a portion of scripture uh, that we examined last week, why re-look at this text? Why rehash the same story? And the short answer is the meaning of circumcision. You know, you'll recall last week that we spent time looking at the major contours of chapter 17, focusing on Abraham and his response to the covenant God was placing upon him, his response to the demand that God put upon all of Abraham, his entire being both body and soul, and how Abraham willingly gave of himself to be used of God in whatever way God saw fit. We saw and witnessed a man of faith surrender himself to the will of God, letting all the works of his flesh, even this 13-year-old child who is with him, that came from his very loins, be counted as nothing before the Lord of glory in order that the works of God and the wonders that he would perform would be most highly exalted as he shows forth his power in bringing something miraculous about a promised seed from the womb of Sarah. And yet in all of that, in all of our study of Abraham, one of the pressing questions that we could not deal with because of time constraints was this question of circumcision. What is this circumcision in the flesh? What is this sign that Abraham is going to take in his body. Why would God 
give this particular sign to the household of faith. I mean, what is so important about circumcision that Abraham and all the males of his family must receive it in their very flesh? Surely there is some weight attached to this action, even as we witnessed Abraham undertake it upon himself and upon his household and then there, through, throughout the remainder of the Old Testament, it, this particular sign continues to be used by the Old Testament people of God as it is applied to each eight-day-old male child built or raised in the house of Israel. I mean, this symbol is something that will endure throughout all of Scripture. We find it spoken of even in the New Testament in places like Romans 4 that we read last week and Colossians 2 that we read this week. But the question is, what does it mean? Why use this sign? What is circumcision and what is it all about? How are we to understand what is happening here in this text? Why is circumcision so important that it continues as a theme throughout the whole Old Testament and even into the New Testament in certain ways? Well, beloved, circumcision is a sign and a seal that shows both the new life, a new creation, and the blessings of it, as well as cursings. Judgment is attached to this sign. And we'll explore what all that means. But the first thing we need to see this morning is that circumcision is a sign and a seal from God to his people. A sign and a seal from God to his people. So what does it mean to call circumcision a sign and a seal? Why use that language of sign and seal when we speak of circumcision? Well, very simply, uh, uh, we're using the language of sign and seal because that's the language the Bible uses to explain it. Now, Romans 4.11 tells us that Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So here we see in Romans, we see Abraham receive a sign. And in that sign is sealed the righteousness given to him by God because he had faith. But how does that all work? I mean, it's one thing to read that passage of scripture. It's another thing to understand what he, what is being spoken about. Well, again, two things are going on here for Abraham. First, he receives Circumcision as a sign. A sign is simply represents a claim or, or, or some of some kind. A sign is something that points beyond itself to something else, saying, this is what you see, but this is what it means. This is pointing to something beyond its own reality. You see this when you see a sign going down the road, pointing to the restaurant down the street in another mile and a half. You know, it, is a, it is there to point to a reality beyond itself. And that is what circumcision is doing here in Genesis 17. It is pointing to a reality beyond itself about a new creation and a judgment. And we'll come back to both of those later on. But what, but what about as a seal? As a seal, circumcision is authenticating something. That's what a seal does. It verifies that something is real, that there is a level of ownership connected to what is being said. In the ancient world and even in the, the Middle Ages, you know, if a king decreed a new law, something like uh, you can't work on Sundays, then he would write this decree down and he would seal his decree. He would write a new law and he would seal it with the insignia found 
on his ring. And when that seal was put there, basically what that seal was saying was, look, I have said what is written here in this scroll, and I mean it. All my power and authority backs it up. It confirms it. You know, to do, and you are required then to do all that is under my authority. That I am saying these words. It is saying, I am saying what is written here. These are my words, and I mean it. This new law, I impress upon you. I seal it upon you. And the seal confirms what the edict, this new law or sign means for you as a subject within the king's domain. So biblically speaking, we are seeing Abraham being instructed to take upon himself and his household and all those within his gate a sign. A sign that points beyond itself to some greater reality. And at the same time, God is sealing something to it. He is showing ownership over this one that he belongs to him. Who takes this sign upon himself saying, I own you. Therefore, walk blameless before me. God is confirming something spoken over Abraham. So what exactly is it that God is confirming here? What is it that God is speaking over Abraham? What is he saying in in this sign? You know, is he verifying that Abraham has faith and so he should take this sign and therefore, you know, confirm what he already believes? I mean, is that what God is doing? Making visible and outwardly what is already an inward reality, what's going on in his inside. Well, that may be true for Abraham, but the problem with saying that is in verse 12 here, after Abraham takes this sign, he is then supposed to put this same sign upon eight-day-old babies, you know, children so young and helpless that it is impossible for this particular sign To demonstrate that faith is present within this child. It's an impossible reality to express. Furthermore, you have to consider that this sign is applied to not just Abraham here, but to his whole household, but Ishmael. Abraham's son by the flesh takes the sign upon him. He receives this outward sign, and yet it clearly doesn't reflect the inward reality about him. As we'll see later unfold when he mocks the child of promise. It's interesting. I mean, this text, as God establishes his covenant, he does so not with a 13-year-old who takes the sign upon himself and knows what he is doing or what is being done to him at the very least. He is completely cognitive of what it means. But instead, God will use the child who receives the sign at eight days old, a child named Isaac who cannot comprehend what is going on. God will use Isaac And he will continue to carry God's promises on through him. This one who receives the sign at such a young age. And that is how God is pleased to work. And so all that to say, what is the circumcision a sign of? If it isn't the fact that faith is present in the one who takes the sign upon himself, what is it used for? Well, notice what God says again and again in the first few verses, especially the first Nine verses. What is it that God continues to tell his people here? He says, this is my covenant that I make with you. This is what I say to you. 
what I will do. Over and over again, God issues a word saying, I will do this, I will do this work, I will bring a son through Sarah's womb, I will give you an inheritance, I will make you a father of a multitude. And then he comes on and to the point and he says about circumcision, it will be a sign between me and you. Interesting language use here. God, first of all, puts his own name first. But then secondly, he uses the same language he used before, only, you know, not that long ago, when he's speaking to another man who he's making another covenant with, when he is speaking to Noah after the flood. And as God is speaking to Noah, as he's talking about this rainbow, he says, this rainbow that you will see appear in the sky when it rains, it will be a sign between me and you that I will never flood the earth again as I have done. In other words, it will be a sign to me or to you from me that what I will or about what I will and will not do. It will be a sign that I give to you, that I establish to you. I will present it to you so that you might remember what it is that I have promised. A man is totally helpless in this situation. Noah has no say in the matter about what the sign is or about how it appears after a rain. God is in complete control here. Noah really can do nothing about this sign but receive it as a sign of a promise from God that he will do what he has promised he will do. And he reminds us and demonstrates it to us in a sign. And God speaks this same way here. In Genesis 17, it is the same language about circumcision saying it will be a sign from me to you that I will do what I said I will do that I will keep my promises my covenant is true and circumcision really then at the root of it it is about God keeping his word it is about God maintaining the covenant that he promised doing what he said he would do, even confirming to Abraham about bringing a seed to Abraham through something miraculous, something unfathomable. Man, again, he is completely helpless in his situation. You know, though man indeed takes the sign upon his own flesh and his his action, here is nothing more than an affirmation of what God has already done, what God is saying. This is Abraham basically listening to God and saying, Amen. And I will do what you said. I respond in faith. I act believingly, responding to your promise. And the heart of this is that the promise cannot come about apart from God and his working in Abraham. It is impossible for man to do this work as we will see you know, with the dismissal of Ishmael as the promised seed, you know, this one that Abraham tried to bring forward as the works of his own flesh, God will bring something about and he confirms or reaffirms his promise to do so by placing a sign upon Abraham's flesh. And it speaks not first and foremost to Abraham's faith, but about God and what God is promising he will do. It's interesting, but... God, if God wanted to put this sign, you know, uh, to confirm it in a different way, to make it clear that it's only connected to Abraham's faith, he could have made it so that the sign was only given to 13-year-old boys to take it. You know, that's what the Egyptians did at the same time period. The, the Egyptians 
They would be circumcised at a much later age as a mark of reaching full maturity. You know, to show that they were now part of the society of Egypt, not as a child, but as men. Now they are men within this uh, uh, body. God could have made this sign in such a way that it would have been about the youth taking on faith for themselves. Yet God administers this sign from this point on to utterly helpless babies. Why do that? Is circumcision is about the recipient's faith being demonstrated. One writer summarizes this way. He says, the essence of circumcision must then be about what God is saying to them, not about what they can say back, because they can say nothing. They are unable to speak back. God is saying in this promise, it is impossible for you to bring any part of this promise that I have covenanted with you about on your own. You cannot do this work. I must do it. This is a sign, and I will give you this sign from me to you to verify, to remind you that I will do what I said I will do. That is why righteousness is sealed to you, because it comes apart from any works whatsoever that you might perform. And so circumcision, it's not designed to prove faith. Rather, it is a guarantee that a righteousness by faith is being promised by God, and God has promised that a seed indeed will come by God. He will bring this miraculous work about us. We will see in a few short chapters. It is a sign and seal that says God means what he says, and he will make those righteous who believe the promise by faith through a seed. So circumcision is a sign and a seal from God telling us, what he will do, and what he promises he will do. And what he promises to do is nothing less than an act of new creation, an act of new creation. This is one of the biggest uh, 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 overarching motifs or patterns that reoccurs throughout scriptures, that idea of new creation. It is a reoccurring pattern that we witness where we see old life pass away and new life come as a result. I mean, this is the basic promise that is given back in the garden when we failed to keep God's law that one day this sin-cursed world will pass away and God will make all things new. That is what it is all driving towards, God making all things new again. And ultimately, he promises that that will come through Christ. Colossians 1 and chapter 3 talk about that. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us that if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. It is a reoccurring picture all throughout Scripture. And it is accompanied by many of the major events that Scripture happened, including the circumcision that we will see here. This pattern of old life passing away and new life coming is reflected. When God floods the earth, just going back to Noah, he judges the whole of humanity And the result of that judgment is it's passing away. The old world falls away. Judgment falls upon the earth, but new life is created on the other side. And the point is that we expect it, or at least we are longing for a new world and making all things new in Noah. Even as the earth is repopulated, it is refilled, and so on, the earth is being made new. But because of the sinfulness of man, 
it cannot be the ultimate new heavens and earth. And as God, you know, this happens again, as God leads Israel out of Egypt, they pass through this Red Sea, and at once they pass through these waters, these waters will judge Pharaoh and his armies, and they will be delivered into death. And in the same stroke, a new life begins for Israel. No longer are they slaves in the house of bondage. There is a clear stroke that breaks them from that bondage. But now they live a life of freedom. And it's new beginning. This is so important that Israel is given a new calendar to remind them that what God has done here in this month, in this event, it makes them new creation. Their lives are now completely marked. Even their calendar lives are marked by this new beginning. Everything in their lives is marked by this thing being brought about a new creation as they have passed from death in Egypt into life with God. And yet this new life isn't lived however we want. And we are called to obedience. Israel is called to give themselves wholly to God. That's part of this exchange of being brought into life with God is to give yourself wholly, even as Abraham has demanded all of his being here. And once they are delivered from Egypt, they are to seek to live God obediently for the redemption that has been purchased for them. But one passage I find really helpful about what's going on here. It's often overlooked, but it speaks volumes to this death and new life. Leviticus 19.23 has this scene where we see something that doesn't make much sense to us. But God says to the house of Israel, he says, When you come into the land of Canaan and you plant trees for three years, its fruit is forbidden to eat. It is forbidden to you. And the, the, the language there is actually, it is uncircumcised fruit. It is unclean to you, but in the fourth year, all of the fruit is to be considered holy and to be given as an offering. Circumcision has taken place over this fruit or tree. In other words, this tree that was counted unclean or uncircumcised, but now in the fourth year, it is suddenly considered holy, completely set apart unto the Lord. It has been made new. It has been repurposed. The old has passed away in it. And it has been made a new creation. No longer will it be uncircumcised. It will be holy, made new, set apart even unto God himself. And all these passages of scripture come together telling us something new has become or begun in them. And believe it or not, all of that is right here in Genesis chapter 17. We see it when God gives Abraham a new name, a new life of blessing held out in promise by cutting off the old life symbolized in the cutting of the, uh, or in the removal of his name from him and giving him a new one. His old life is cut off in the removing of his foreskin, a new life, a new beginning. God is telling Abraham, look, you are a new creation. I renamed you. Behold, the old has passed, the new has come, and now I give you a sign that shows this reality of what I said you are to be. You are to be holy and blameless as you walk before me. That is how your new life looks now. I have cut off the old from you, and I demand the rest from you. Even baptism 
shows this new life. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 says as it speaks about the parting of the Red Sea, and it calls it a baptism. It says, our fathers were all under the same spiritual cloud and all passing through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Scripture is saying, behold, what they went through back there in the Red Sea, what Abraham undertook in his body in the flesh, and what you participate in, your baptism, they are all signs that show forth new life to all those within the house of faith who rest in the promises by faith. So circumcision shows God promising new creation, and at the same time, it is an act of judgment. It is an act of judgment. Death is shown forth in this sign. The sign just doesn't hold out life. A promise of death hangs clearly in the air. It's like a, a sword uh, a suspended, ready to fall. Notice verse 14 especially. It says, any uncircumcised male who remains uncircumcised in the flesh... He will be cut off from his people. In other words, you can cut off a part of you and live before God in freedom from bondage to sin and in obedience to him, wholly dedicated to him, or you can have your whole self cut off from you. Jesus says a similar thing when he says, you know, cast out the eye that causes you to sin. For better is it to have one member to be cast into hell than the whole body. This cutting of the foreskin, it shows forth God's judgment. Remember back to Genesis 15 and how God made this covenant with Abraham by cutting animals in half, this splitting, this, this bloody pathway that was created, and cutting apart. And the idea being simply, may I be like this animal if I do not keep my word? May I be judged May I be cut off from the land of the living if I fail to keep my words. Circumcision is a bloody curse for the one who fails to embrace by faith the promises held out to him. Circumcision was never meant to be a sign outwardly that once you receive it, well, you know, you're in and you're always going to be in. Again and again, the scriptures repeat phrases in places like Romans 2 and Deuteronomy 10. Then making the place case plain, circumcision was to be of the heart. It was to be embraced by this child whose foreskin was cut off. He was to be raised in the way of faith, holding on to the promises of God given to him. He was to see in his own body the sign of God and embrace the promises of God by faith or else he stood in danger of being cast away from God himself and his presence and his people. He stood in danger of experiencing the wrath of God against ungodliness. There's a scene early in the book of Exodus, and I don't want to delay it too long. It depicts well where God has chosen, or, or it depicts this idea of, of judgment well. And God has chosen Moses to go back and speak to Pharaoh and to warn him, to bring warnings of this coming judgment. And as Moses prepares to go to Egypt with his wife and his son, an angel of the Lord stands along the way waiting for him to pass by in order to put Moses to death. 
It's a strange scene, but Zipporah, Moses' wife, to avert this wrath, he, she cuts her son's foreskin and places it on the feet of Moses. It is a strange story to be sure. And we don't have time to go into all the details to explain it. That is a sermon for another day. Uh, but basically, what you see going on is the wrath of God against Moses and against his son is averted through something being cut off and removed. The wrath meant for Moses was turned away from him because something stood in his place. The sword of God's judgment never fell on them because there was a substitute for them. And beloved in Christ Jesus, that is exactly why Christ Jesus came to this earth. That is what he became for us. Colossians 2 tells us that Christ was cut off. He was cut off, as Isaiah 53 prophesied, from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of God's people. He became our circumcision. He was judged, experiencing the whole of God's judgment, not in just the foreskin, but in the whole of his body. And he stood as a substitute in our place in order that the sword of God's judgment might pass over God's people. Someone must bear the wrath of God's curse against sin. Someone needs to be cut off in judgment. Someone has to bear the penalty of the curse of God's covenant. And either it is man or it is God himself. And what do the scriptures say? You know, the text we read this morning says, we, the church, God's people, we were dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh, but God, he stepped in and he made us alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, by nailing it to the cross, his cross. In other words, he underwent the wrath and judgment of God, a circumcision being cut off from God's blessings, bearing the full penalty that our sins deserve in order that we might go free and be set apart in holiness. He became the circumcision for us by nailing our sins to his cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ. Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that they might receive the promised spirit through faith. Through Christ's death and resurrection, through his fulfilling the law of God perfectly in our place. And then taking the curse upon himself that we deserve. Though Christ was being cut off for our sake. And through his rising again from the dead, we, as Colossians say, receive a circumcision now, made not with hands, without hands. It's not a physical circumcision anymore. We become holy and set apart. We become freed from our old selves and newness of life. We are buried with him in baptism in order that we might live as new creations bought for a price. People of God, I know this is a comprehensive and deep topic, but that is why circumcision matters. Because through Christ taking on the judgment we deserve by his being cut off in our place, we are able now to receive the circumcision made not with hands. We are able to experience new life in his bloody death. They go hand in hand. 
They cannot be separated. God frees us through Christ's death and resurrection from God's judgment, and he calls us to live in newness of life from it. That is what it calls his people to, to walk before him blamelessly, seeking to live a godly life before him in thanksgiving for the gift that was given through his body and his blood. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, what more can we say to you who have given? We thank you for the sacrifices of Christ. We thank you for his broken body and his shed of blood that he was cut off from the land of the living, taking the judgment that was due to Adam, that was due to all of his posterity that we deserve, and taking it upon himself. Father, we pray that you would cause us to remember who we are in Christ and that we might live in light of that reality that we are new creatures, new creations bought for a price. Lord, we pray that you would cause that to be true of us even this day as we leave this place. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.